Amen. I love that song. And I think it's a beautiful thing how God orchestrates things that he's doing in his people. And when we go to him and pray, and that song just, it fits. It fits right along with what the Lord laid on my heart this morning. And I'm just uh, appreciative. Thank you, Mary Alice, for singing that. Um, my favorite word or my favorite line in that song is, You are here, so it is well. It is well. So uh, that's um, an incredibly encouraging line and an incredibly cur- encouraging song this morning that if he is here, then it is well. Um, everything might not look um, great. But if he is here, then it is well. It's well with my soul. We can go back to that old hymn. We can go to that song, and we can draw encouragement from that, that our God never leaves, he never forsakes, and he gives us that promise. And it's, um, it's a beautiful thing. So that bridge says, let faith then rise up. Oh, heart, believe. Sometimes we have to, in the psalm that we'll go to, 105 this morning, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, it goes right along with that. Let faith rise up. Oh, heart, believe. It's almost like standing outside of your own self and saying, you will praise the Lord today because he is good. And I remember who he is, and I don't forget his benefits, and I don't forget his mighty hand and his power. So um, today, he is here, so it is well, and therefore we'll let faith rise up. Faith rise up in the face of doubt, in the face of questions, in the face of calamity or hard times that we let faith rise up um, in ourselves faith in what we know about the Lord. I remember um, Laura Weeks, she came and she sang a special one Sunday morning and she said something right before she sang. I don't even remember what the song was that she sang, but something that she said stuck with me and it's been months ago since she sang that special and she said, sometimes we have to operate on what we know rather than what we feel. And we always, we know that, all of us know that, but um, the way she put it that day, it just stuck with me and I think, um, that is relevant over and over and over again, that we have to operate on what we know about God, about his character and about his goodness, rather than how we feel today or rather than the circumstances that surround us. We know who God is and we know by the revelation of his word that he is good. So um, Psalm 105 is a beautiful encouragement for us to worship the Lord for who he is and his sovereignty, but not just for who he is, but all that he has done over a vast amount of generations that have come before us, that we have this great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. And um, so we want to continue to run our race of faith with endurance, knowing that God is who he says he is and he's never failed yet. But circumstances in life can cause us to question what we know. So we want to operate on what we know about God um, and not how we feel, but sometimes circumstances can absolutely do that, can make us question what we know. We can be asking, who is God? Is he who he said that he is? How do I know that everything in my life is going to be okay? How do I know that? How do I know that um, God is going to be faithful to something such as Proverbs chapter 3? That is he really going to direct my paths when I submit myself to him? Um, all of us have these questions, you know, and how do I know that it's not just wishful thinking? that God's going to direct my paths when I submit myself to him? How do I know that it's not just wishful thinking when I proclaim the promise that is given in Romans chapter 8, that everything that comes in and out in the ebb and flow of my life is going to work out to my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose? How do I know, again, that that's not just wishful thinking? How do I know that I'm going to be forgiven of my trespasses when I fail and when I falter in my sins? And how do I know that I'm going to be able to be restored to a right relationship with God in peace and joy that comes only from Him? How do I know that I can continue to do that after major mistakes in my life? So how do I know that I can rise out of the ashes of something like tragedy or real difficulty where I say, God, where were you in that? Because I don't see it and I don't understand. How do I know that after a tragedy and after um, being in the pit of depression, how do I know um, 
that God is able and that he will restore to the abundant life that the Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. How do I know these things about God? Um, so this morning we're going to talk about the big picture. That's um, what I've chosen to, um, to label this is God, when you look through the Old Testament and even in the New, you see this big picture that God is painting in the middle of um, circumstance and in the middle of his chosen people's lives. And um, so a, a fact that we don't catch a lot is just how long of a time span that we're dealing with when we read about somebody in the Old Testament. You know, we go from one season of their lives in just a few seconds from one chapter to another, but we don't remember that, you know, a lot of times those events that we're reading about came with real hardship where they could have absolutely questioned, God, who, who are you right now? Where are you? And I, you can think of many Old Testament stories to put in that blank. I'm thinking just off the top of my head, like Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. You know, we read easily from one verse to the next how Daniel was put in the lion's den for loving the Lord and just for serving him. But then, you know, in just a couple verses, in a few seconds, we get to the place where we read and we understand that God delivered him out of that lion's den um, overnight. But that was not so for Daniel, and it's not so for us. It's not just a few seconds and our problems are over and we see the redemptive hand of the Lord in our lives just so easily. So um, this big picture idea that God is painting where he does work everything for our good, how do I know that he's going to do that? Simply put, he's been faithful for all of time before I ever even arrived here. And before I got here, he knew every day of my life written in his book as evidenced in Psalms and nothing is taken him by surprise. So if God has been faithful for eternity thus far, he's gonna still be faithful for the rest of eternity and in my present life right now where I stand. Um, this big picture idea made me think of Bob Ross. Now, some of you, it takes me back to my childhood. Um, some of you listening might not know who Bob Ross is, and I encourage you to look him up. And what he did is after serving 20 years in the military, Bob Ross um, began to pursue a dream. And he ended up on TV, and he would give these painting tutorials on TV before YouTube was a thing. And um, so... I used to watch him some when I was a kid. I didn't really appreciate Bob Ross all that much because it was more like a napping tool for my sisters to make me go to sleep because he has this really gentle and deep voice and um, everything's just kind of calm and soothing. And I thought it was super boring when I was a kid, so I'd fall right to sleep. And um, so if you've ever seen Bob Ross, then you know what I'm talking about. If not, I encourage you to go to YouTube, look it up. And uh, I was watching something this week. Again, God just orchestrates things that he's speaking and he solidifies things um, as, you, as you go along. So I was watching, it was actually a YouTube tutorial of a woman making a cake. And she was making the cake using um, decoration from chocolate ganache and trying to follow a Bob Ross tutorial of a canvas painting. And um, so as it started, he takes the brush and some blue, and she does too on the cake, and they're um, painting around the edges, and they're um, thinning it all out, and it starts to look really good. You have all these clouds at the top, and he drug that same blue around the bottom, and he's making a lake, and everything just looks really, really good. And then in that video, he takes this knife and some black paint, and he goes right into the middle of this beautiful work that he was just doing, and he makes this big, ugly black mark across 
um, just right through the middle of this canvas. And I found myself thinking, and I didn't get spiritual yet at all. I just found myself thinking, there is no way in the world he's going to take that ugly black line that he just put in the middle of that painting and make it anything beautiful. There is no way. But sure enough, um, give it a couple minutes, about 10, 15 minutes, and you take a step back, and there's this beautiful mountain range, and he turned some of these ugly black marks into trees that look really good, and you've got this somehow a reflection of um, the mountains on the water down below, and he ends up turning it into something really, really beautiful. And, you know, as I was watching that and I was thinking that, I just feel like the Lord spoke to me in that moment and reminded me what I've been studying, reminded me what I've been looking at in Psalm 105, that our God is good. And sometimes there's this big, ugly black line, and you fill in your own blank with what that is that enters your life. And you're looking at God and you're saying, God, there's no way in the world that you're going to take anything that has to do with this and make it part of a bigger picture that is beautiful. It just doesn't make sense how that could possibly happen. But we've, we see it through Scripture. He's done it over and over over and over and over again. He's proven himself faithful to his promise. He's proven himself faithful to his people. And even in the middle of calamity, even in the middle of real struggle, real disappointment, real tragedy, it's somehow he takes the good, the bad, and the ugly, mixes it all up, and he is God, and he does turn it out to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I referenced Hebrews chapter 11 already this morning, and I encourage you to go there and read that. That's um, the hall of faith, as it were, as we would call it. And there the word says that we have this great cloud of witnesses, these people who have gone before us, who have proven God faithful, who say surely through their testimony and through their difficulty, their whole life has passed. And then the message at the end of the day seems to be God's never failed yet. He's never changed. He's always provided. He's always been faithful. All of these witnesses who have gone before. So what makes me think in my time of hardship that it's going to be any different in my life? You know, Hebrews chapter 11. So he says, now we have this great cloud of witnesses, and we have this journey of faith to run with endurance right before us, understanding that we have a God that can be counted on, that we can lean and trust and rely on and believe in, that he has never failed yet, and he's not about to now in my life or in in your life or anybody else's. Before we get started today, I just want to point out one thing, and there's a call for us to be aware of false false teaching, false doctrine, And there is some of that that rises up around us in the American culture. And right now, when um, in the American church culture, when you turn on the TV, you got to watch what you're listening to, and you have to kind of weigh that out by Scripture. And the reason I bring this to our attention is because in today's society, in the church, we can get the idea that if something is going wrong in our lives, that maybe we've done something to deserve that, or maybe something is going wrong, or I'm not praying hard enough, or my faith is not great enough if things are not going my way, or if things are bad, you know. Um, But Jude, I want to point to Jude before we go to Psalm 105, and he says, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers, those whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you, They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. 
Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's presence or in God's love. What I'm referencing here is this idea of the prosperity gospel is what they label this as, that we name something, we claim it, and God brings it. And, um, and if he doesn't, then again, maybe I'm not doing something right or whatever. Um, but you look through the testimony of those in the word. The Apostle Paul, most of the disciples died a martyr's death, you know. Um, You've got people all over the world, even now, 2020, being persecuted. And God doesn't bring these ugly things in to the world. But as those things exist, he promises that he'll never leave, that he'll never forsake. So we cannot allow prosperity and wealth to gauge how we're doing spiritually. You know, that'd be a great mistake. Because I could also sit at the house and be very prosperous and have plenty and have more than enough and feel like, well, because my life is that way, then God is pleased with me. But that's not necessarily the case. He's not looking at material things. He's not blessing according to material things. He's blessing to spiritual things. He's blessing us by and according to his spirit. So we submit to him. And as Paul said, we learn to abase and to abound. Um, So I just wanted to point that out, that we don't need to have this mindset that if something is going wrong, that God has failed in some way. If something is going wrong, that I'm doing something wrong in my spiritual life. So we're talking about the big picture, Psalm 105. So what Psalm 105 does is it goes back and it looks at all these stories. It looks at God's faithfulness over um, mostly Genesis and Exodus and those stories. And he gives this great picture of God's faithfulness through these people's lives. And he's saying, now look at God's faithfulness and we should obey him. We should submit to him. We should love him. It reminds us who God is through the testimony of those who have gone before. And um, we can internalize the lessons that it gives us. And we'll work on doing that the next couple of times that I have an opportunity to preach. And um, we'll find real encouragement, I believe, in the God that we serve today by looking at who he has been and his faithfulness in the past. So this is Psalm 105. I want to read the whole thing this time um, just so we get a, a good picture of what the whole thing is saying. So this is the King James Version. Follow along on your screen or in your Bible. This is Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. This is what I was saying before, that when you look at the context of what he's saying here in Oh, give thanks to the Lord, it's like one of those moments where you have to stand outside of yourself and say, you will give thanks to the Lord no matter what your circumstance is today. It could be ugly. It could be good. Either way, he is worthy of praise. He is holy. And here I'm going to call upon his name, whatever the situation is that I'm in, and I will give thanks to the Lord. Um, if, you, if you didn't have an opportunity to watch... Um, Diane Hutcherson's uh, testimony this past Wednesday. I encourage you to go back and to watch that. I think um, the whole time that she was talking, I saw this in her. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Her testimony did make us known um, or make us know God's deeds in our own life. And it was very powerful. I encourage you to watch it. It says to sing unto him, sing psalms to him and talk ye of his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Glory in the name of the Lord Jesus. Glory in God today. Let the heart of them that rejoice, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. So we seek the Lord. Let our hearts rejoice in him and in his goodness. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek the Lord in his strength. That reminds me of Pastor Paul. As we continue to pray for him and pray for his recovery, this is something that he says over and over and over again in just in his life. In when he's talking, when he's giving prayer requests, when he's here in the pulpit, you hear this idea come from him continually to seek the Lord's strength and not our own. 
And um, that's something of the testimony of Pastor Paul is to seek the Lord's strength and, and not our own. So here, sing to him. And it says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember, remember. I would write that down. Remember, this is the key to this Psalm 105. To remember, remember who God is and what he's done. And don't allow ourselves to remove um, our minds and our mindsets from the goodness and the holiness of God throughout all generations. It says, remember his marvelous works that he has already done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O oh, you seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen. He is the Lord our God, and his judgments are in all the earth. This is a psalm written, and it's paralleled and taken from 1 Chronicles 16. And this is a psalm and a saying for the children of Israel, so that over the generations you don't forget who God is and what he's already done and what his promise is. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Verse 9. Which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. And confirmed the same to Jacob for a law. And to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Saying, unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. When they were but a few in number. He called Abraham out when they were just a few in number. Very few and strangers in the land that, they, that he would send them to. 13, when, he went, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. So this is talking about Abraham and the very promise that was given and where we'll go today. He suffered no man to do them wrong, and he reproved kings for their sake, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land, and he broke the whole staff of bread. He moves on from the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for a minute, and he says he sent a man before them, the children of Israel, Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, and he was laid in iron. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. 21. He made him the Lord of his, of his house and ruler of all his substance. So we're talking about Joseph here now. And this is referring to Potiphar's house, to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal subtly with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they rebelled not against his word. So now he's going to the story of Moses, and he's going to talk about turning the plagues, turning the waters into blood, and slew their fish. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of their kings. I hope you'll allow yourself to see what the writer is doing here. He's saying, look how far God went to redeem his people. Look at the lengths that he would go to save his people. And what he's done already. He spoke and there came many sorts of flies and lice and all their coasts. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He smote their vines and also their fig trees and broke the trees of their coasts. He spoke and the locusts came and caterpillars and that without number. And did eat up all the herbs in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He smote also all the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. 
He brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. This is referring, if you've lost me, this is referring to when they left Egypt. They didn't leave poor and broke and hungry. He sent them on the way with plenty and not one feeble person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed. They, was, they said, please leave, get out of here, you know, for the fear of them fell upon them. That was God's hand. He spread a cloud for covering and fire to give light in the night. The people asked and he brought quails, satisfied them with the bread of heaven. This is our God. He opened the rock, providing. Opened the rock, the waters gushed out. They ran into dry places like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. And he brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness. At the end of the day, Do you hear what the writer is saying? He brought them forth with joy and his chosen with gladness and gave them the lands of the heathen and they inherited the labor of the people that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise ye the Lord. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Story by story, moment by moment in this psalm or over the whole Old Testament if you want to this week. Story by story, encourage yourself. Encourage one another. Build each other up in your most holy faith, as Jude says. Think of your own times that God has proven himself. And we'll do something outside the box right now. If you're watching on Facebook this morning, I'm going to ask you to engage with us. Go to the chat function, and I want you to use one word, and you describe God um, in your own words. Who has he been in the past? Who is God to you? Use one word and just throw that in there, and I'm going to have a good time later on uh, looking at those things. So I encourage you right now, just where you are, engage with us for a moment if you're watching by Facebook this morning, and put in one word, who is God to you? Remember um, a couple years ago around Easter, we put this big old black um, Jesus is board. That was a real encouragement. Jesus is, and we used one word to describe him. Do that, morning, do that this morning on, on Facebook. Who is God to you? Um, The Bible Knowledge Commentary has this to say about Psalm 105 before we break any further. It says, This psalm expresses joy over God's faithfulness to his word, as should we, in redeeming his chosen people. So those who receive his benefits should remember his works and respond, respond with obedience, respond with this great trust in our God and respond to obey him even in the hardest of circumstances. So the next few times, as I said, that I have the opportunity to preach, I'm going to come from Psalm 105 and then take these little stories as the writer did and break them open and really for a moment examine God's faithfulness in that particular story. So this morning is going to be Abraham. And when we go to Psalm 105 specifically, where Abraham specifically is mentioned, not at the end where God remembers the promise finally, um, but in the beginning, it goes... um, from verses 4 to about 15. So I'm going to backtrack, go in a different version, and we're going to look at those verses one more time. We're going to talk specifically about Abraham this morning. So Psalm 105, number 4, it says, Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember, remember, write that down. Remember, don't forget. Remember the wonders that he has performed, his miracles, and the rulings he has given. You children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. He always stands by his covenant. He always stands by his covenant, the commitment he made to a thousand generations. This is the covenant he made with Abraham and the oath that he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree and to the people of Israel as a never-ending covenant. I will give you the land of Canaan as your special possession. 
He said this when they were few in number, a tiny group of strangers in Canaan. They wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, yet he did not let anyone oppress them. He warned kings on their behalf, do not touch my chosen people and do not hurt my prophets. Now this is the story of Abraham as given to us in Psalm 105. And again, we have to remember that as you turn the pages, I encourage you to go to Genesis this this week and read the story of Abraham. It happens from chapters 11 to 25. We meet Abraham and Sarah. Um, and you have to remember that this story that we'll talk about this morning, the story that you sit down and read from Genesis, happens over a hundred years. So we're going from event to event, but we have to remember God gave a promise, and then they leave their land, they go to that land, you know, and it's already inhabited. And God doesn't bring that promise for many gener- generations. He promises a son, and that son, they don't, he doesn't tell, them, tell Abraham right away, um, you know, when that son is going to be born, and it'd be 25 years later. So um, Abram and Sarah, that's how we meet them. That's what their names are before God changes them. And I wish we had time to just, for real, just sit down and break open the whole story of Abraham. But I'm going to recap it for us because I, I will get cut off at some point. So, uh, so Abraham's story takes place over 100 years. Genesis chapter 11 to 25. I, again, before we move on, encourage you to go to those chapters, go to those pages. It won't take you but 30 minutes to read through them and remind yourself and really think critically about God's faithfulness through Abraham's life and what the hardships may have been and how God came through with his promise. Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah, are 75 and 65 before we ever even meet them. We understand already that um, Sarah is barren. She cannot have children, and they live with their family and their extended family for their whole lives. So Abraham is about 75. Sarah's about 65 in Genesis chapter 11 when we meet them. This is the promise that was given in Genesis chapter 12, um, a very just right there, right after we meet them at 75 and 65 in the first of Genesis chapter 12, we get the promise. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. Can you imagine going home to your spouse and saying, all right, we're, we're going to move. Well, where are we moving? I don't know. <laughs> you know. I don't know. Wherever God says, you know, we're going to go wherever he says and do what he says. Um, that, that was a great step of faith for them to do that. And we don't need to discount that. Um, goes to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. So these are the promise, promises that are unfolding. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now this means there's got to be descendants. This means there's got to be a land And God is not saying in the promise that he gives in chapter 12 when those things are going to be fulfilled. But in our our thinking, I want you to think, if God came to you and said that, the understanding or maybe your thought would be, okay, I'm going to leave home. I'm going to go to a specific place. We're going to occupy that place now. And if I'm going to have descendants, then God's going to do something about um, this barrenness pretty quickly. That is not the case. So throughout the story, I went through, since we don't have enough time this morning to break open the entire story of Abraham, I went through and there were some real hardships in in that story. Hardships that we can identify with, that we see and it's hard to reconcile sometimes what we know about God and his character with what we see right in front of our face. Our reality 
you know, causes us to question what we know about God through hardship. God gave a promise. God said he was going to give a son. And um, so throughout this whole story, 11 to 25, they're traveling. Abraham is a man on the move. God comes to the family. They say, okay, and they move out and they leave. But then they spend the rest of their lives as foreigners um, in different lands. One of the lands that they stayed in, and as you read the story, they move north and they move south and they go somewhere else and they'll go somewhere else. Um, The land that God shows Abraham is already inhabited in um, Canaan. It says um, right there plainly in the Bible that it's already inhabited by the Canaanites. That is also a hardship. You get there, that's got to be disappointing. Um, And we can identify with that kind of disappointment. You know, we don't always get what we want. We don't always see the healing that we ask for. We don't always, um, life is not a cakewalk and we don't see God answer the prayers that we bring to him. And there might be some, um, the way that we think that he will. And there might be some real disappointment that we can identify with there. Can you think, can you imagine the disappointment there? Maybe that could have been in Abraham's mind. When I get here, I look at the land that God said he's bringing me to. And there's all these people there. They're forced to move. One of the places that he went to was called the Negev, and it's this hill country. And you've got to think, it's not just Abraham and Sarah and a couple cows. You know, by this point, there's a lot of people. They have herdsmen, they have cattle. Abraham is wealthy. So there's a lot of people, a lot of tents, a lot to think about and move in parts with the people that are with them. Though they're small um, relative to what they will be later, um, there's still likely lots of people here. So they're forced to move from the Negev by a famine. So God takes you from your house, you go to your wife, and you say, this is what God is saying. And by faith, we're going to run out here. We're going to go do what God said do. The land is full of likely wicked people. And then I don't have enough to eat. A famine moves across the land. That could cause some real doubt, some real... um, ugliness on the inside, some real distrust if we were to allow it to. Forced to move from the Negev and go to Egypt. Egypt in the time was a scary place. It says plainly right there in scripture that they were not God-fearing people. You know, um, they had to go there and they end up getting kicked out of Egypt in the middle of this famine. So they're forced to move from the Negev by famine into Egypt. That's a hardship. Again, they're forced to separate. So God is giving this blessing of growth and wealth to Abraham and his people, including his nephew Lot. So much so that the blessing becomes a burden and people start fighting because the land that they've settled on for the moment is not um, given enough sustenance to, to supply the need for every person. So Abraham and Lot have to separate. That's a hardship um, that could cause us to say, God, where, where are you in this? War broke out in chapter 14 in the land and Abraham, this is after they separated Abraham and Lot and war breaks out in the land. So, um, and, and Abraham is forced to fight for his nephew's life because Lot was captured along with his family and everything that he had was stolen. So Abraham got some people who were trained, got some allies and went and fought for his nephew's life and got all that stuff back. That's a hardship in the middle of that. Can you imagine that difficulty? Can you imagine war breaking out and then having to go into the presence of God in our moment today and say, God, where are you in this? What are you, what are you doing? Why couldn't you have protected them from being captured? Why they could have come here? There's a thousand questions that come to our mind when hardship hits, when it's there, 
We'll go into the presence of God, and oftentimes we won't default to faith, but we default to questions. And I don't think questions are a bad thing. I think questions are good. I think when we go to God and we're brave enough to ask big questions, He gives us good, big answers, you know, eventually. And I believe that He does do that. So God gave a promise of descendants to, to a couple that was barren. Abraham and Sarah, they can't have kids, but God gives a promise of descendants. And again, it was not fulfilled right away. They're 75 and 65. This is about um, a little over midlife, you know, and God gives this promise and it doesn't come for 25 years, 25 years, which speaks to um, some mistakes that they make that we'll talk about in a second. God tested Abraham's faith in a big way. Isaac finally comes 25 years later in their latter years and, and God tests Abraham's faith. I gave you this son, now go and sacrifice him to me, you know. Abraham lost Sarah when he was about 137 years old and lived almost another 40 years without her. That is also a hardship. Every one of us expect that when we're in um, a loving and faithful marriage that we'll be able to continue a long way with our spouses and we won't lose them um, too far away from when we lose our own life in the physical. And, um, but she passed away and he lived for another 40 years after she passed away. That's a hardship. So some of these hardships, of course, Abraham is not a perfect person and you're not either and I'm not either for certain. And um, these hardships and in these questions and in these temptations to fall, in these temptations to doubt, um, we do see definite mistakes, definite failures. Um, Abraham lies twice about Sarah being his sister instead of his wife, because they're scared. They're coming up on a new place with a wicked king, and he thinks, you know, if they think that she's my wife, they'll kill me so they can have her. So they agree on the way that Sarah will be called his sister, and they get hemmed up a couple times because of that. And um, these angry kings are, I mean, mean, they're ready to kill somebody because of it, because God is not going to have his people be in touch, and he makes sure of it. Abraham and Sarah, they use Hagar. If you don't know who Hagar is in the story, how many times can we identify with that? With this story here, they use Hagar to try to bring about God's promise. So God promised a a child. We're a few years in. He hasn't done what we expected that he would do. So we'll we'll make it happen. We'll we'll take it in our own hands and we'll do um, what we need to do to make it happen. And then Hagar does conceive with Abraham and his name is Ishmael. And then they treat, Sarah is basically just filled with jealousy and rage and treats her harshly, and Hagar runs away. And then again, in chapter 21, Isaac is born. And then again, here's a mistake, here's a failure in the life of Abraham and Sarah. They send them away completely um, because Isaac is there, and they don't want Ishmael or Hagar to have anything to do with the inheritance that has to do with Isaac, with their son. Mistakes and failures. Um, There are serious doubts when you roll over the pages of the story of Abraham. Serious doubts and questions. Um, They scoff at the promise of a child at one point, um, and they doubt the ability to possess the land. When you look at Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, um, God comes to him, and he absolutely verifiably questions and says, well, how in the world am I supposed to possess it, the land? And he has that question right before God. And he says, you know, you gave us this land is what you're saying, but how are we even supposed to possess that? It speaks to the doubt that was there in Abraham that God was going to be able to fulfill what he said. Um, And then uh, according to the scripture here in that 16 through 18, 
um, there's real doubts about whether Isaac would be born. God said, I'm going to give you a child. God said, you're going to have many descendants. They're going to be like the sand of the sea, the stars in the sky. But we don't even have one child yet. Um, and they're old at this point. When you, when you get over to 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, they're, they're getting old and about 100 years old, 190 years old. And um, they still don't have a child. So when God comes and says you're going to conceive in the next year, there's some scoffing going on. There's some, how in the world, Sarah says, am I going to have a baby? How am I going to nurse a child? And how am I, I going to have a, a baby with this old man? Is basically what she's saying. And then Abraham has the same thoughts in his mind that God calls out mistakes and failures. Again, here's the promise from the very beginning that the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, leave your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, but not without hardship. In the very beginning, counting the cost and understanding that God did not make it an easy road. He didn't protect them or prevent them from trouble. He, um, the trouble came in. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, make you famous. And it's just not fleshing out at this point with the hardship and the mistakes and failures that they've had. So I will bless you, make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Before um, we finish, we're going to finish up here. God is faithful. Can we look past hardship? Can we look past failure and see God's faithfulness in our own lives? And if we can't, it's okay. But he has given us the word of God to base our belief and practice on. And over and over and over and over again, he shows himself faithful. Over and over and over again, he shows that he has never left. He never forsakes his people. Over and over and over again, in the big picture, in the big scheme of things, there are these moments when we don't understand where God is or what he's doing or how he's doing what he said that he was gonna do. When he says that I will direct your paths and I feel like I'm lost right now, in this moment where that black mark is, is brushed across the canvas, God, I don't know what you're doing and I don't know how you're gonna um, make this thing good. But what I do know, is I can look at the life of Abraham, I can look at the hardships, I can look at the failures, I can look at the promise, and I can look and see that as they traveled, they were never captured. Lot was, but God provided the victory. They were always protected and always they had somewhere to stay. They left their native country and as a small people, you have to understand that there were kings surrounding them that all they had to do was set their mind to take them captive and make them servants and they could have. But God prevented that from happening all of those years. For about 100 years, God prevented that from happening. The promised land, as God promised, it was already possessed, but God reveals the bigger picture to Abraham. God reveals himself to Abraham and he says, you think it's not about here in this generation, but what it is, I'm gonna make this promise come to pass over many generations. And God gives Abraham the picture of that in one of the promises as he reiterates the promises promise throughout Abraham's life. There was a war in his family, but God gave victory in the time of war. God didn't prevent the war. God didn't prevent Lot from being um, captured and all his stuff from being stolen. But what he did is through the man of Abraham, Abraham looked at the thing in faith, fought in that war to get his stuff back, to get Lot back, and God gave the victory to a small people and their allies. And it's a beautiful thing. Every one of them who left by faith from their father's land were protected. 
promised descendants. God promised that there would be descendants and God fulfills the promise in the birth and the blessing of Isaac's life. It was not on their timetable and it was not like they thought that it was gonna be. And that's very clear that it was not there. And God often answers our prayers in ways that if we're not looking, we won't even see it. Um, but here, he, he, he fulfills his promise in the blessing of Isaac's life and reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh in that place. If you have not been watching um, Dr. Miller's Pastor Connects, right now he's doing a series on the names of God, and he just did this one this week, and I encourage you to go back and watch that. It's, it's awesome. Um, Jehovah Jireh, he named that place. Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh. God revealed himself in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of a situation that made no sense at all whatsoever. He revealed himself as the God who provides. God provides a wife for Isaac before Abraham dies. He has this son as an old man and he gets to see him married um, before he passes away. God provides an additional wife. He lost Sarah, but Abraham remarries and he has many more children after Sarah's death. God provides that companionship um, for his latter years. In the middle of their unfaithfulness and unbelief, and we can point this back at ourselves. When have you been unfaithful? When have you operated in doubt toward God? But in the middle of that, God still protected Sarah and all of Abraham's people and their wealth from angry kings Abraham and Sarah lied to out of fear. In their own lie, in their own mess that they created, they could have been killed, they could have been captured, and God said, nope, those are my people. They were wrong for that, but those are my people. And um, they were protected even when they were unfaithful and they were sinful in lying. God blesses Hagar and Ishmael. This is the son that they had. Now, uh, again, this is a relationship and a child that is born out of really disobedience and doubt. And God blesses that boy. And then when Hagar is so disappointed from being, from being treated ugly um, by Sarah and she leaves away, this is the moment in the story that God reveals himself again, not directly to Abraham, but he reveals himself in scripture in the middle of Abraham's story, in the middle of their unfaithfulness and doubt and unbelief as Elroy. And he says that I am the God who sees you. Hagar recognizes him as the God who sees me, that I've been seen by the one who sees me and I've seen him. And it was at that well that God reveals himself in the middle of difficulty, in real ugliness as the God who sees you, that never leaves, that never forsakes and sees every moment, every hang up, you know, every struggle that you're going through, every sin, every bit of those things. And he looks on his people with grace and mercy and he sees us and knows us right where we are and never leaves. He reveals himself in this way. God reveals himself in the middle of doubt in Abraham's life as El Shaddai, the God Almighty, stating that nothing is too hard for him. This is the moment when Abraham sees three men and one of them is God and a couple angels and God is saying to Abraham, you're gonna have a child in the next year. And then this is when they're scoffing at the promise and they're doubting that God can bring about what he says that he can. And God reveals himself as El Shaddai in the middle of this doubt, in the middle of their unfaithfulness and in the middle of their doubt toward God, he says, I am God Almighty, then nothing is too hard for me. Genesis 25, this is the end. This is where Abraham dies and at the end of his life, and it's a beautiful picture. Genesis 25, it says, Abraham lived for 175 years. I would add, not without hardship, not as a perfect man. And he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. 
Abraham lived for 175 years. When he was 75 years old, there's no way that he could have known how things would end up in his life. He couldn't have known the hardship that he would face. He couldn't have looked ahead and known the doubt that he would have when he obeys God and leaves his family. He couldn't have known those things. But God is at work in this bigger picture. You know, Bob Ross is not God, but I think it's a pretty good illustration of, you know, there's some things that might not make sense as it goes onto the canvas, as it enters my life. We serve a God who has never failed. (laughs) He's never been unfaithful. So he's worthy of our trust, worthy of our obedience today. Psalm 105, so we give thanks to the Lord, the one who is everlasting and always faithful. Give thanks to the Lord, proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him, yes, sing his praises, tell everyone about his wonderful deeds, exalt his holy name and rejoice. You who worship the Lord, search for the Lord and for his strength, continually seek him. Remember the wonders that he has performed. Remember, don't let yourself forget in the middle of these hard times and troublesome times who God is, his miracles and the rulings he has given. You children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land and he always stands by his covenant. The commitment he made to a thousand generations. When we take a step back in Abraham's life, we can see the big picture. And one day we'll be able to, in heaven, take a step back and see our bigger picture. I believe the Lord will reveal it to us. But it's not revealed to us in this time and in this moment. What we do is as in Hebrews chapter 11 says, we run this race with endurance, understanding we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and said, God has never failed. He has always been faithful. Amen? If you're listening this morning and you don't know that God, you don't know Jesus and you have a desire to be saved and you need to be saved, I encourage you, it's gospelbc.org. You go find a staff member, you reach out to us and we would love to walk you through those things and pray over your needs if you would like us to. And you reach out and allow the Lord to move in your life and um, accept him by faith. Let's pray together today. God, thank you so much for who you are, for your faithfulness in every generation, for your kindness in every generation, for your goodness in every generation, in every hardship that we face that you've never left. You are here as the song says, so it is well. As the Apostle Paul said, Lord, he said, um, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, you are good and your goodness knows no end. Lord, thank you for the word that you left us. Thank you for the beautiful picture of faithfulness that you paint for us in the lives of countless men and women through the Old Testament. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to default in our minds and in our practice to faith and to hold on to what it is that we know and not how we feel. Your word instructs us to walk by faith and not by sight, and we want to commit to that today. Lord, thank you again for who you are, for your goodness, for your character, for your nature. Thank you, Lord, that you are full of mercy and kindness and grace. And Lord, thank you that your throne is a place that we can enter into boldly because of you, Jesus. You provided that place that we might come and find help in a time of need. Lord, thank you for who you are. We lift you up in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.